It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. We're continuing our series Off the Road with musicians remotely sharing how the pandemic and other crises have touched them. Hear what we've aired so far at hawaiipublicradio.org. And today it's songwriter Jimmy Webb, responsible for classics like Wichita Lineman, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, and many others, and who's worked with some of the biggest entertainers of all time. Prior to the pandemic, he recently released an album of covers, Slipcover, Piano Arrangements, as well as his memoir, The Cake and the Rain. Hello, Dave. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. You know, I'm sad about some of the stuff that's, you know, going down, but my health is good and I've been completely quarantined. I've been out of the house. I went to the hardware store because I needed a little can of paint. But I've been here and been playing the piano a little bit, working on a model airplane. Nice. We've managed to hold it off so far, but, you know, knock, knock, knock on wood. Of course, this uh, Floyd thing really disturbed both of us deeply. I hear you, brother. First, where are you that you're hunkered down right now? We live on the north shore of Long Island in a a little village called Bayville. As we've been hearing from artists across the country on the show, talk a little bit about how the pandemic has impacted you personally. Well, the first thing about the pandemic that had impact and then some was that it really shut down our business. I was planning on playing 70 dates this year. Mm. I came in off the road on a Friday, I think it was, and on Monday, they started canceling flights. It was right at the beginning. And I guess I was lucky because I could have been out there, you know, I could have been out there and stuck quarantined from my wife. So, yeah, I mean, it pretty much knocked our business like all the wind out of it. And we've been thinking of different ways to communicate with people. I did a concert on Facebook. I didn't even announce it, Dave. I just sat down and started playing on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) And I played about three or four songs, and I looked up, and there were 2,500 people watching it. Right on. And I thought, wow, this is a powerful thing. So I think that we are all working performers. Mm-hmm. We are all working on a way to do our concert business. And there is some indication that if the first couple of rows are empty, that it provides the necessary distance to protect the performer and the audience. If the audience is wearing masks and if they're separated separated properly so that was the first thing and then of course we've mishandled it i think we've all mishandled it in the sense that we should have all been wearing masks we should have all sequestered ourselves from the very beginning and we'd be finished with this now but it's going to go on as long as people go around ignoring the rules kind of bugs me to see that One of the neat things about music through the years is it's something people turn to for relief. It's like there are so many times if you're having a hard time, there's a song, there are songs, maybe there's a band. So you, in a lot of ways, are providing some sort of unique therapy for folks. And on this record, on the Slipcover album, who would you say you were closest to of any of the cats that you covered? I was real close friends with Joni Mitchell for a while. I used to sit in awe and just watch her play. All the Court and Spark songs, I saw her write those. For the most part, I was there, and I heard different versions of them. Blue, I think I I was around for that. And I learned an awful lot from her, but she was a friend. 
You did flea markets uh, and antique market. shops, too. Yeah. You know, there's another great artist in that book, guy you have been so strongly associated with. He was actually our guest in 2012. That's Glenn Campbell. We had this late, great jazz host, Jimmy, named Don Gordon. He knew him, and there was this caterer to the stars out here, Steve Ozark. They both were his friends. They set me up. I, I knew Steve real well. I figured you yeah. were. It was a wonderful night, Glenn playing songs, telling stories, but for yourself, can you take us back to first hooking up with him or anything that really just touches you, makes you feel really good to talk about with your relationship with Glenn Campbell? Well, when I was 14 years old, I first heard Glenn singing on the radio. I was driving a tractor out in the middle of a wheat field in northwestern Oklahoma. He was actually singing, Turn Around, Look at Me. It was an early Glenn Campbell hit. And I said, that's the guy I want to write songs for. And I went out and I bought a record. It's probably the first 45 I ever bought. And I played that thing till it was as slick as a hockey rink. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I wore it out. And I said, one of these days, I'm going to be writing songs for Glenn Campbell. I was 14 years old, and I was 19 years old. I had a hit record with Glenn Campbell. The first time I met him was at the uh, Grammy Awards in 1968. He had won a Grammy for Best Male Vocal Performance by the time I get to Phoenix. And I won an award for Song of the Year. And it was, it was just one of those nights. It's like summiting Everest, okay? You, <laughs> you know you're not ever going to do it again. Good analogy. And it's so sad because you can't come down. So you just stay up there and freeze to death. <laughs> <laughs> when I really got to know him, I walked into the studio one day, and he was sitting there all impeccable-like with his starch-faded jeans and the sleeves of his shirt rolled up and that quaff late 50s hair. <laughs> I walked up to him and I'd just gotten back from the Monterey Pop Festival. So I was wearing Indian moccasins and <laughs> jeans that hadn't been washed in a week. And, <laughs> and I had bought a fleece lined vest from uh, South America and they were from Yaks. So I said, that's what I'm going to have. When my grandkids come and ask me about Monterey Pop Festival, I'll bring out my yak vest. <laughs> <laughs> And by the time I got through the festival and I got back down to L.A., it was pretty obvious that my yak vest hadn't been cured out just right, you know. <laughs> so I, I walk up to Glenn, and this is my big moment. I stick out my hand and I say, Mr. Campbell, I'm, and he says, holy mother. He said, damn. He cussed the blue streak. He said, what you guys do in here, you know. <laughs> And, and he said, that's your code. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Campbell. Really, I'm sorry I took it off. He said, take that thing out in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's still my big moment, right? So I'm coming back in. And he just can't look me in the eye because I've got long, long hair, right. tie-dye T-shirt. I'm a prototype for like a hippie. He looked me up and down three or four times because he just couldn't believe what <laughs> his eyes were, were telling him. I said, yeah, Mr. Campbell, I, I wrote By the Time I Get to Phoenix, and I put, put out my hand. And uh, he kind of hesitantly put out his hand and said, uh, when you going to get a haircut? 
two great lines from him. I love that other one. Take that thing out to the lobby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so it it got off to kind of a rocky start. But, I mean, politically, we were really on different sides. And there used to be a little friction over that every once in a while because he was really in with the Orange County Republicans and Bob Hope and John Wayne and all those guys who wanted to have a big war in Vietnam. Of course, none of us believed in it. Right. Kids my age, we didn't believe in it. So we would argue from time to time about issues like that. But over a period of 40, 50 years, even that fades in the background because we got along so well musically. We spoke that language. Glenn would stand behind the piano and look at my hands and play my chords. If you played a song and he told you it was a hit, you could put your money in the bank because he could hear a hit. I played a song for him by Alan Toussaint, Southern Nights, and he practically ripped the record off my record player and said, can I have this? Can I have this? And I said, take it. Don't take my record player. He finally gets gets the record off. And he goes out of there without even saying goodbye. Because he just wanted to work on it, you're saying, that quick. It came out two weeks later. Unreal. It was a number one record. It's songwriter, musician, and epic storyteller Jimmy Webb. Tomorrow we'll conclude with more of Jimmy's thoughts on the pandemic and another round of storytelling featuring highlights from his memoir, The Cake and the Rain, and this time focused on another entertainment legend he's been up close and personal with, Elvis Presley. Find this segment and all the previous interviews in our Off the Road series with artists sharing their pandemic and crises experiences at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Dave Lawrence.